Um, Habakkuk chapter two, that's where we pick up. How many folks, raise your hand, if you are just so familiar with Habakkuk? Couple, a couple, I love that, I love that. Now, let me ask you this, how many of my kiddos, raise your hand, can spell that word? Nope, no, don't cheat, don't cheat. How many of my adults could spell Habakkuk? Charity and I were joking before, like, hey, is it, how do you pronounce this? Is it this, is it that? They're also, how I'm saying it's probably not the accurate, um, but how I need to say it is Habakkuk for everybody's sake. Uh, and so probably not a lot of us could spell it. Probably not a lot of us even are too certain, too familiar with this book. So let me kind of set the table because that's where we're going to be. Again, next week we kick off Judges, but, but this morning... I want us to see what God might have for us. So as I set the table, so you know, I mentioned this, we're going to walk verse by verse through Judges. We just finished Psalms and Proverbs, um, a collection of Psalms and Proverbs. Cannot wait to dig into Judges next week. But today we pick up in Habakkuk chapter 2 with a powerful message. And this message, my, my hope and prayer all week is that it would kind of set the stage, set the tone of who we are as Grace Church Alito. If this is your first time, you're going to hear who we are. If you've been around for a little bit, you're going to hear who we are. If you've been around from the beginning, it's always good to come back to who are we? What is Grace Church Alito all about? Where are we headed, Lord willing, for years to come? So at this point in history, Israel is in, they find themselves in a bad place. It's early 7th uh, century BC, and at this point, Assyria has literally like, maybe not literally, but figuratively kicked the teeth in of the Israelites. Okay, the Israelites had rebelled against God and his word, and they're, in, they're being uh, held, uh, oppressed by other nations, and now they're suffering under the rule of a pagan nation. And the prophet Habakkuk was a prophet. He looks around and, and sees that there's just not a lot of help, just not a lot of hope. And in chapter 1, it's only three chapters, but in chapter 1, he cries out to God and he laments all the things. He's just honest. God, where are you? In all of this mess, where are you? All of the oppression, all of the injustice. He's tired. He's a bit frustrated. He's looking for answers to all of his questions. He's looking for the way out. And God answers him. Maybe not the answer he was hoping for, but nonetheless, God answers him. God says he's going to make it a point to deal with his enemies. Yes, I will take care of my people. I will deal with your enemies, but it's also going to get a lot worse for them. He basically says, Habakkuk, I'm going to deal with that, but it's not going to be very easy moving forward. It's going to get a lot worse for you. Essentially, God answers him with a word that we all love to hear. Wait. Wait, and in the waiting, it's not going to be easy. I wonder how many of us can relate to that today. You ever got your answer from the Lord, and it wasn't go, it wasn't clear, it was just wait? I've been there, but let's see how God answers. Habakkuk 2, verse 2 through 4. I'm going to jump back before we get into uh, verse 14. The Lord answered me. Write down this vision clearly, inscribe it on tablets so one may easily read it. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end and it will not lie. Though it delays, wait for it. Since it will certainly come and not be late. Look, his ego is inflated. He is without integrity, but the righteous one will live by his faith. Wait, 
wait, wait. This is what it looks like to live by faith. There's always a bigger picture. There's always a bigger picture at play. He's always, God's always working things out for his glory and for our good. And so, family, brothers and sisters, Christians, you can bank on him. You can trust him. You can put your hope and actually delight in who God is in every moment. No matter the season, no matter the circumstance, because of the hope that we have in God's timing and God's plan. What does it say? It testifies about the end and it will not lie. His plan will not lie. Though it delays, he says, wait for it, since it will certainly come and not be late. In all of life, the messiness, the busyness, all the complicated things that you and I face every day. Probably even some of you walked in facing some of those trials today. And all of the the false hope that the world offers us or tells us that it will give us, even in all of our suffering, all of your oppression, everything we see around us, God says, wait. His plan will not lie. It will certainly come and not be late. Now, how am I supposed to wait? Like, what does that even, what does that look like for me? How am I supposed to do this? And honestly, I kind of feel Habakkuk's frustration. Like, I kind of get his questioning. Like, I'm I'm not in that time, but I can certainly look around and just think, man, where is God in all the mess? How am I supposed to do this? How am I supposed to raise my family in all of the mess around us? And I kind of get frustrated like Habakkuk probably was. I kind of start questioning. I I look around and I, I think, how? In all of this, how? But you know what's beautiful about this questioning? God doesn't just say he will defeat evil for his people back then with Habakkuk. God answers them, says, wait, I'm going to deliver you. But it's not just for that time in history. Instead, he draws Habakkuk's eyes to something far greater. Something that will serve as an inspiration for generations to come. As we see here, something Habakkuk couldn't even see in those days. I love God's response. Jump down a few verses with me. Chapter 2, verse 14. How will this plan come to fruition? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the water covers the sea. I want you to think about that. The entirety of the earth will one day be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory. You know what that means for us is that waiting is not wasting. That's a promise right there. The earth will be filled. And so in your waiting, I hear all the time about, I just got to hurry up and wait. Let me just remind us, draw our eyes to this. Waiting is not wasting. His glory is filling the earth as we speak. All around the world right now. People are gathered in homes, underground churches, in comfortable buildings, And people are worshiping the name of Jesus. Waiting is not wasting. His glory is filling the earth. This is active. Have you ever seen water move? You ever tried to stop water? Have you ever tried to like, man, my kids spill drinks like on the daily. And on the table, it's like, it spills over. And I love them. Deacon, I love you for for all of it. It spills over and I'm just as guilty. But where does all the water go? Anywhere it can find. Like you can get paper towels. I've tried every brand of paper towel. 
Brawny and Viva, all of them, it doesn't matter. Water, juice, liquid is going to find a way around that. Water is powerful. His glory is filling the earth as we speak. It covers some ground quickly. It's powerful. It's going to find a, a way to get in every place. You can try to stop it, but it's just always moving. And that's what God says about his glory. Like the waters fill the sea, his glory will cover the earth. Kiddos, I want you to say this with me. You ready? His glory. Oh, that was terrible. His glory. Kids, say it with me. His glory will fill the earth. One more time. His glory will fill the earth. Every nook and every cranny will someday fill to, be filled to the brim, overflowing with glory, reflecting the beauty of his son. His glory will fill the earth. His plan is still in play. From the beginning, his plan is still in play. It's, it, he's not delaying this plan. It's not going to lie. Habakkuk tells us. He communicates God directly and says, it's not going to lie. His plan's never going to be late, which means... Everybody in this room, if you are breathing, he's not done with you. He is still at work. His kingdom is still advancing. So hear me on this Christian this morning. Our posture is not waiting on if he will win. I need you to hear that. Our posture is not waiting on, man, I wonder if he's going to win. He's already won. Jesus didn't die so that people might be saved. He died so that people would be saved. So our waiting, as weird as it sounds, is it's actually active. We're waiting because our hope's in Jesus and we're trusting his sovereign work. But our, our hope, our waiting, our faith is active. It's a posture of victory that allows us to now step into his mission. But here's the deal. I think some of us need to get this image of... Um, like a white Jesus, blonde hair, blue-eyed. For whatever reason, I go to this, like I, I kind of grew up where Jesus was just holding a lamb, like all the time, like just petting a lamb. Like that's, if you go to First Baptist Church, Eastland, where I grew up, there's pictures of Jesus just kind of holding this lamb and it's cute and it's cozy. He's got blue eyes and he's from the Middle East and he's got uh, blonde hair and he just looks like a really cool, calm Jesus. But I don't know if we're talking about the same King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Jesus, that I see in the Bible when I, I see that. Was he tender? Absolutely. But he's also the King of Kings who looked death in the eyes and conquered it. He's also the King of Kings who looked Satan in the eyes and said, no more. These people are mine. He's the, also the King of Kings that conquered death by walking out of the grave in his own power. I mean, have you ever read chap, uh, chapter 19 in Revelation? Let me just go there for us real quick. <clears throat> then I saw heaven opened. Like this is, this is when Jesus returns. I want, I want us to get this posture of victory that we have in Jesus. Then I saw heaven opened. There was a white horse. Its rider is called faithful and true. And with justice, he judges and he makes war. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one except himself knows. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. 
The armies that were in heaven, they followed him on white horses wearing pure white linen. A sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God, the Almighty. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh. It says, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's the Jesus of the Bible. That's the one that I'm saying now, we're on this side. He's already conquered death. He's already told us he's coming back. We live in the, the already not yet. He's already won. He has not yet come back. So what's our posture? Do we just sit back and we just kind of, well, I don't know, maybe he's coming back. No, we have it. Thousands of years ago, his glory will fill the earth as the waters fill the seas. That's his mission. I don't know how we can read things like that and it just not stir in our hearts and not just rattle our bones to think this is the God I serve. Thank you and amen that he is victorious. He has already won. So believer here this morning, our posture is this. It is one of victory in Jesus. And I believe if we would take this posture, our hearts and our eyes would be open to what he's doing. We'd see his glory actually filling the earth in this very moment. We'd begin to understand that waiting is not, it's not wasting. Instead, our waiting is an actual gracious invitation into this beautiful, something I'll say all the time. Got it from Pastor Rick. He's 76 years old. He's one of our elders in Fort Worth. He said, man, I, I wish I would have, somebody would have told me this about this adventure, this beautiful adventure that God has called us into when I was a young man. He got saved later in his life, radically. And, and, and I hear this 76-year-old pastor just say, I wish I, could, I wish I could just wake people up to this, that this is not some boring life, but it's instead a beautiful adventure that our Father calls us into. So what does this mean for us today? Well, it shapes who we are and what we do as a church in 2023. In this moment of history, you are right where he wants you to be. Everybody look at me. You're right where he wants you to be. Dissatisfied at work, you're right where he wants you to be. He's trying to teach you something. He's trying to show you something. Angry in your marriage, he's right where he wants you to be. He's for those who are frustrated. He's for those who are oppressed. He's for those all so that he can work things out for his glory and for your good. He's right where he wants you to be. You were made, I heard this the other week, I was at a conference and Matt Chandler said, man, I wish people would be uh, awakened to this, that you were made in the moment and for the moment. Meaning, you're right where you want, he wants you to be. You're not an accident. Like he didn't look around and think, man, I really nailed it with Spurgeon back in the day and I just look around and I just don't know how my church is gonna, I just don't know how, I don't have Calvin around, I don't have uh, all of the, I don't have Billy Graham around anymore. He's not just like up there fretting. He, he's got you right where he wants you to be. So what does that mean for us? How will his glory fill the earth? You and I, that's the plan. You and I, I don't know if you're like, there's some times where I, I think to myself, Real, really? You don't have another 
Billy Graham you can send? You don't have another person, who, a Billy Graham and Alito, like, who can do this? I'm the plan. You and I are the plan, broken, busted people that make up this thing called the church. This is how God has chosen to carry his mission to make his glory known until the ends of the earth. Not by clean, perfect, earn your way, clean yourself up people. That's not the route he chose, but through his powerful work of taking dead people and making them alive again in Christ. If you're a Christian here this morning, that's me, that's you, once dead, now alive. And those people can't help but share the grace that we have received. We just keep telling more and more people about this. Can you believe how I used to be? Man, let me tell you about what I used to do. Let me tell you about how I lived for myself. And then we invite people in to to a real vulnerable part of our lives and we say, but God, who is rich in mercy, actually lavished his grace on me. He poured out his grace on me through Jesus. And he gave me a new heart. And he radically changed me and he saved me and he didn't just save me from an eternity in hell away from him. He actually called me into this this mission. Let me tell you about Jesus. Each one of you has a story like that. He's been doing this for thousands of years, for thousands of years, taking broken, dead, busted people and still the mission of God has not been stopped. We're living proof of that. So this beautiful adventure he's inviting you into, to take the gospel of Jesus into the world, that you, a sinner and sufferer, would proclaim and display the grace of God to other sinners and sufferers. Why? Real simply, because we all need Jesus. If anybody asks you why, you can try this with your kiddos. Hey, we all need Jesus. You want me to clean my room? We all need Jesus, Deacon. We need you to clean your room because we all need Jesus. Try it. I mean, it's just one of those things. We never outgrow the gospel. We all need Jesus. Kids, say it with me. Everybody look. We all need Jesus. Adults, say it with me. We all need Jesus. So what does this mean for Grace Church Alito? Kind of went at at your heart. Now let's talk about the heart of our church. Simply put, it means that we're gladly going to take part in this mission. And here's how. Our mission statement has been from the get-go. We make disciples and we plant churches who delight in the Trinity, cultivate deep friendships, and boldly evangelize. That's who we are. First time, welcome. This is who we are. This is who we'll always be. Invited into God's mission. How? By making disciples and planting more churches full of disciples who delight in the Trinity, cultivate deep friendships, and boldly evangelize. If you've been around for a little bit, The wind's still blowing our sail this direction, and I think it always will. This is who we are. No matter what culture says, no matter what's the easiest route, I'm telling you, buckle up. This is who we are. Invited into his mission. This is our DNA, and Lord willing, for years to come, not just Grace Church Alito, but the churches we will plant, and we will send out dear brothers and sisters to go plant more works. Why? Because we all need Jesus. Brock, Peaster, Crescent, Granbury, South Africa, Peru. We all need Jesus. So let's break that down for just a minute. I'm going to take the next 12, 13 minutes. 
what is a disciple? Some of y'all might hear that and, and what I say and what you think or what you've been taught, maybe it's a little bit different. But this is, this is our definition. What is a disciple? It's a spirit-filled, lifelong follower, learner, and friend of Jesus. Lifelong, a spirit-filled, lifelong follower, learner, and friend of Jesus. So someone who has the spirit of God living in them. They've been saved through grace and through faith, by grace and through faith. And in that, a disciple is a lifelong, until Jesus either calls you home or he returns, it's a spirit-filled, lifelong follower of Jesus. What does that mean? What's a follower? Well, a disciple is someone who follows the way. The word tells us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So a disciple follows him, follows the ways of Jesus. Someone who's all in. Someone who's practicing the ways of Jesus. Well, how did Jesus live? Let's look at the Gospels. How did, what did he do? How did he operate? What did that look like for him? So a disciple is a follower of Jesus, practicing his ways, how he lived, ministered, how he gave his life for the least of these. How he lived in a countercultural way. So much so that it put him to death. Follower of Jesus will not live to build their own kingdom. Instead, they're going to give their life away to build the kingdom of God, to advance this mission. So Jesus, a disciple, is this. Jesus is Lord of their life. The second thing, they're a learner of Jesus. So they're following the way, and along the way, they're, they're learning things. Not perfect. I don't have it all figured out. You don't just overnight become whoever you think is the perfect Christian in this world. You're not going to become Jesus overnight. Matter of fact, ever until he comes back and then where our bodies are then made glorified, glorification, where we actually are, are perfect and living in unity. But until then, we live in a broken, busted world full of a lot of sinners just like me and you. So a disciple is someone who's, who's learning the way, which means they, they got to be joyful. They got to be humble. You can't learn uh, something when you think you have it all figured out. And if you think you have it all figured out, you're probably not very joyful. So that's why a, a learner of Jesus is someone who's joyful, somebody who's humble. They can recognize their need for Jesus, always learning, growing to look more like him, learning his ways, realizing they've never arrived because we never outgrow our need for Jesus. Jesus is the Lord of their life, a disciple. Jesus is their teacher. And then lastly, they are a friend of Jesus. A disciple is someone who is a friend of Jesus. They recognize that Jesus is not just their Lord of their life, not just their teacher, but he's actually their, their friend. They delight, they enjoy being with Jesus. A disciple actually enjoys hearing his word, enjoys just communing and sitting with Jesus. Jesus, what would you have for me today? A disciple invites Jesus into the space that he's already there. But it's an invitation to become a friend of Jesus, who was the friend of sinners. So a disciple just wants to be with him. They understand that Jesus is their friend. So this is who a disciple is. A disciple is a spirit-filled, lifelong follower, learner, and friend of Jesus. So when we say we make disciples, that's what we're talking about. Spirit-filled, lifelong follower, learner, and friend of Jesus. And we plant churches. I'll end with that here in just a few minutes. I'll talk more about what does that mean to plant churches. Disciple, spirit-filled, lifelong follower, learner, and friend of Jesus. And so, if that is you, 
then you will be, uh, then our churches, we will plant more churches. We, Grace Church Alito, will be full of disciples who do this. That's who we are, and this is what we do. We delight in the Trinity. This is our DNA. What does that mean? Well, we delight in all of God, three persons in one, the Trinity. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So a disciple delights in all of that. They do desire the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They do desire somebody who, who can come alongside them and, and help guide them into God's word. They delight in all of who he is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as a church, we commune with him through prayer. That's why we meet on Sundays, through prayer and worship and his word. We, we humbly come before him and one another for joyful confession and repentance within our groups, within our friendships. We'll talk about that here in just a second. Why do we do that? Because all of our delight is in him. We learn to turn from the lesser joys of this world and we actually turn to the greater joy found in Jesus. That's what we do. And we don't do that just on Sundays. But hear this, it's what we do in our everyday rhythms of life. You'll hear me say that all the time. I'm thankful you're here for an hour and 20 minutes every Sunday. But you're I don't know, I've never added this up, but whatever it is outside of these walls is a lot. How you have your kids, where you live, where you work, where you play. Your everyday rhythms of life. So what do we do? We take John 15 where John says this, I've told you, Jesus says this, I'm sorry, I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. God's not just saved you from something in eternity and hell separated from him, but he saved you to something this beautiful adventure that I keep coming back to with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, fully present with us. And our joy and delight is complete in him because we all need Jesus. Like what if that's what our church was marked by? Delight, joy, humility. You can turn on the news, get on your social media feed. There's so much negativity in this world right now. Like what if we were marked with just a joyful presence? Man, I'm just glad to be here. Hard times, good times, not faking it till you make it, but just a joy of like, man, God's got this. He's in control. His glory is filling the earth as the waters fill the sea. I'm joyful to be here. I'm joyful to go to work. I'm joyful for the opportunities he's afforded me. What if that's what our church was marked by? I've been around a lot of bitter, angry people who claim to be in the faith from their 60s on. Man, they're just bitter. This is not what we used to do. I don't want to be that. I want to be like the Martins who show up on our prayer night on the first Tuesday of every month and just in all humility, God, would you save people? Hearing Clark's prayers stir my heart and affections. I want that joy and delight in my life. What if that's what we were marked in? We delight in him. And as we, uh, as we do that, like I say all the time, if you'll start there, then it's going to overflow here all your relationships. So the second thing that we do, who are we? We cultivate deep friendships. Like if you think about a disciple, we said it's someone who is a friend of Jesus. And because of that friendship that you have with Jesus, the one where he's invited you into, a disciple will then cultivate deep friendships, not just with Jesus, but now with one another. Since God is community, he's three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He gives us the model. He invites us into that, not just with him, but with one another. We're never called to live a Lone Ranger life in our Christian walk. You can't do this by yourself. 
I've tried to do it by myself. It's frustrating. It's, uh, it's you know, cultivating deep friendships. We use that word intentionally, cultivate, because it's hard work. If everybody was like me, man, I'd be happy. I'd be delightful. I'd be, I'm just joking. That's a joke, by the way. But isn't that how we operate? Like cultivate deep friendships means like we got to till up the ground. We got to work a little. We actually got to pour some effort into this. And it's hard work because John and I, we might have a lot of things in common, but I don't want to get beat on the golf course every time I go play with John. But that doesn't keep me from pursuing friendship with him. Man, I want to I learn and grow and know how, what, what keeps him up at night. What are his dreams and aspirations? I want to cultivate those friendships because you know what our commonality is? He's not even from Texas. <sighs> Pray for him. He's here, though. What roots us into this deep friendship is that we're united in Christ. So cultivating deep friendships is hard work. The older you get, the harder it is. Some of my older saints, brothers and sisters, I know that you can relate to that. It just gets harder. Kids pull you in different directions. But cultivate, work on these friendships. We're not called to live this life alone. Okay, I'm gonna jump to that last one. For us, when I, when I think about cultivating deep friendships, before I move on, I think about just men and women living their ordinary lives and their everyday rhythms and inviting people into that life. Like what if, what if we were marked with that? Or we just had... You know, we didn't just like the Cowboys. I don't know if anybody likes the Cowboys anymore, but it, it, that's not what our commonality was. That, that's not our affinity as our kids' sports teams. It's actually that, yeah, John and I like golf. We like football, but it's, it's Christ that unites us. What if that's what we were marked by in our church? Um, lastly, I'll say this. I think, I think a lot of us just need a good friend. I do a lot of biblical counseling. The last six years, I've done a lot. I myself see a counselor, and it's super helpful. I think we live in a culture, because of, of screens, we've pushed people away, and now, now he, I need you to hear me on this. I see a counselor, and I'm for that. But I think, I think a lot of our problems and our angst and our quote-unquote anxiety and depression, if we just had a friend in Jesus and a friend with a brother or sister, I think a lot of that might might just kind of go away because a, a deep friendship in Jesus and with one another actually points us back to the gospel so that when I'm venting to John, John can say, whoa, time out. I think you need to, I think you need to understand something here. He, he has my permission to push back. He has my permission to, to enter into that and say, man, I, let me point you back to Jesus. I hear what you're saying, Matt, but I don't think Cody's all that wrong. You need to, you need to stop and process I think we pay, what I'm trying to say is, I think we just need some friends, some godly friends in our lives that will help us. That's what I'm trying to say. And if we had that, life might look just a little bit different. We delight in him, we cultivate deep friendships, and lastly, the thing disciples do is this. This is how we'll close. Boldly evangelize. God has saved you from something and to something. If our posture is one from victory in Jesus, and if we'll believe that his glory is actually filling the earth as we speak, then disciples will be telling people about this because we all need Jesus. Remember, you're, you're the plan. He doesn't need you. 
He's not like banking on, oh man, I really hope Brown does this today because this whole mission of this world really depends on what Brown's going to do. He doesn't need you. But that's his plan is to take broken, busted people like Brown and myself and say, hey, I actually want you to be a part of this. I want to invite you in and I want you to, to tell people about who I am and what I have done for you. I also think evangelism gets a bad rap. Christians along the way, we've really messed some things up about building our kingdom instead of advancing God's kingdom. And I acknowledge that. So let me be clear for us as a church. I don't think the plan is winning politics. I don't think the plan is one of these, if you build it, they will come. Let's build a bigger building. Man, we could fit 1,000 people in here. If we had a bigger building, 2,000 people, I don't think that's the plan. I'm not knocking that. I'm saying I don't think that, that the plan is if you build it, they will come. I don't think the plan is to yell at people to receive the grace of Jesus. That just seems odd. I don't think you go down to Sundance Square and tell people that they're going to burn in hell and they need Jesus. Would you accept this grace? Like, I, I don't think that that's the plan. But I do think, especially in our current climate, that the table is going to be a big deal moving forward. A lot happens at the table. Our groups meet around a table. Our kids meet around a table. My life has been changed around a table. A lot of conversations, a lot of crying, a lot of hurt. Usually when Cody and I are in an argument or, or something, I'd venture to say we're going to end up at the table and we're going to work through some things. We're going to break bread together with other families at the table. So I think for us, the table's going to be a big deal. And interestingly enough, it's not a new idea. Jesus, if you look at the Gospels, was either leaving from a meal and heading somewhere. He was at a meal and ministering to people or he was on his way to a meal. I think he liked Chick-fil-A. So much happens around the table. So I think moving forward, bold evangelism for us as a church is going to be inviting people to our table. I have this picture in my office that's super helpful for me. Um, maybe if it's up there. Kevin, you got that picture? This is a picture that about 12 years ago, ago radically uh, shaped some things for me in my life. It's a, there's nothing special about it, but up here at the top, I know you can't see it, but it says, there is always a place for you. And that opened up my eyes to just how hospitable God has been to me in my life. And if you look around the table, there's not one chair that looks the same. Some of them look beat up. One looks like it came from the schoolhouse. Uh, one looks like a throne. One looks, basically, it looks like you went to um, first days at Canton and just picked up a bunch of random table uh, chairs for your table. Why do I like that? Why is that helpful? Because there's so many different people in our world that don't look like me or don't look like you. But if I believe that God pulled the chair out for me and set me at the table and invited me into his wedding banquet, if you will, and said, man, I've got a place for you, then I think for us as a church, we're gonna have to pull a different looking chair out and we're gonna have to invite people to our tables 
if they really want to, I think we just live in that climate. We've done the yelling. It's still yelling. Red, blue, back and forth and this and that and, and, and gender identity and this and oh my gosh, like it, it's overwhelming. And I really think Christian hospitality is going to be the way for bold evangelism moving forward. A lot happens around the table. I've sat with some enemies around the table. We reconciled around the table. We worked through our sin and suffering, and they looked different than me. And not all the time did they leave, like, experiencing the grace of Jesus, but they at least heard it, and I was able to share it in a way that was, was an invitation to them to not just my table, but to the table of Jesus. Like, if you think about your meals uh, with our family, what does that look like? We, we try monthly to have these rhythms where we invite people to our house um, and, and we cook a meal together as a family and we try to go all in. Ellie has the gift of hospitality. We, we love when she takes hold of this and she really, man, she sets it up. She'll make little notes for people and hey, thanks for being at our house. And it, it really is a family effort for us. But you know, nobody leaves thinking, wow, what a great food or what a great meal that was. I mean, we cook a good meal, right? We're a good tag team. We cook good food, but nobody leaves saying, Man, spaghetti was on point. They always leave just thankful and grateful, and it does something to their hearts and it does something to ours. I think the way moving forward is a lot to do around the table. And I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you need to hear that as a call for you as a Christian, but if you're just a friend of Jesus, or maybe you're not become a friend of Jesus yet, man, there's a place at the table for you. He's calling you. He loves you. He has a plan and purpose for you. And he's inviting you into this beautiful grand adventure of chasing after him. And Grace Church Alito, for years to come, may we plant churches who make disciples, who delight in the Trinity and cultivate these deep friendships and boldly evangelize. That's who we are. That's where we're headed. Every year, I'll bring us back to it. And then I'll say, hey, let's go. Who are you inviting to the table? If you are a Christian, maybe that's the question you got to start with. Is your table open? Who can you invite? I'll leave you with this. This is something we're uh, going to start saying because I, I think it's helpful for us in thinking about this. You will never be able to reach everyone, but you can always reach one more. If you're breathing, he has a plan and purpose for you. Share the good news, the grace of God to sinners and sufferers with those. Can't, can't reach them all, but you certainly can reach one more. Father, would you be with us as we have a chance to respond now? Lord, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your love and your mercy. Thank you that your glory is filling the earth as the water fills the seas. I thank you that you didn't leave us there. You didn't leave us in the garden in Genesis 3. With Adam and Eve and the sin that entered into the world, you didn't leave us there. A lot of hard work moving forward. Sin breaks a lot of things. It damages a lot of things. And though we live in a broken world and we're broken, busted people, your mission advances through our obedience and our faithfulness. You invite us into this adventure. And so, Lord, I pray that that would just stir our hearts to worship you, to delight, to work on friendships, 
boldly evangelize. May we never build our kingdom. This is not a Grace Church Alito kingdom. This is yours. These are not my people. You've asked me to steward them, to be an under-shepherd. You are the senior pastor of this church, Jesus, and we wanna follow you. And we need your help, we need your spirit leading us. May we never get too comfortable. There's always a seat at the table. Though we can't reach everyone, we can always bring one more. So Lord, help us today, in Jesus' name.